Welcome to the Age Group to Professional Triathlon Podcast. My name is Brian and I'm the Age Grouper. And I'm Kaylee, the pro. Our mission is to help people go from confused to confident in their first few triathlons. So let's dive into today's episode. Yeah, so today we thought... We might kind of just have an overarching theme of you're not just bad. It just takes time. And I think that it was such an interesting perspective that we've kind of just been talking about a lot this week. So we thought we'd bring it over to the podcast to kind of talk a little about our frustrations, what has been going good, going bad with the swim, bike and run. So I guess we could start with the swim. It's the first sport. So, Yeah. yeah. The goal is to have a little fireside chat about the three sports, just diving in a little bit more about each and covering them. So we'll go right in order, starting with the swim. We were on YouTube and we came across two videos in a row that seemed to promise amazing things, but absolutely fell short in both of them. And obviously, we're not going to name any of the creators or or who it was, but the first topic was how I went from a 22-minute 5K to a 14-minute 5K. And the second was how I went from a bad swimmer to a front pack swimmer in just a few months or or a year's time. I think it was six months was the the advertised. (laughs) And I didn't want to give it away because, you know, obviously we still respect these people for creating the content, but the, the frustrating part or the common theme was you get into the video and there's absolutely no magic bullet. It was just like the answer was... If you started swimming in 2017, you got incrementally better each and every year with a ton of hard work. If you started out running 22 minute 5Ks and you ran 100 mile weeks for four years, you got incrementally better. I hate to spoil the ending, but that's what it came down to. So I figured we would start with the swim and just talk about where we're where we're at with it. So, um, you know, what's going well first? what our struggles are, and then just a little bit about the sport in general. So for the swim, you know, what's a win in your world? I mean, right now, honestly, it's hard for me to even get into what is a win because with the swim, it's kind of just been really frustrating. I feel like I'm actually getting worse every time I go to the pool, which is a super, super frustrating feeling, especially when I'm showing up five days a week, which I know to some may not be a lot, but for me, that has been a ton. So, yeah, I mean, I guess I almost have to start with the frustrating side of it because, yeah, it's just been frustrating. I think. Do you think the swim ebbs and flows? I hear a lot of pros talk about maybe from the How They Train podcast or something where I was absolutely smashed from the bike and the run. So my swim session was super aerobic and and laid back. So do you think the other training really affects it? I assume so, because like you're saying, I've had times where I have a down week or I'm getting ready for a race and all of my volume in the run and the bike has decreased. And so I'm actually having better swim times and feel better in the water and just. uh, Yeah, so I, I think that it definitely impacts you. But I think ultimately, too, people have said that there's ebbs and flows in just like how you feel in the water. And maybe we just haven't been doing it long enough to like really go through the highs and the low plateaus. I think like maybe we're just kind of on minor ups and down swings. And maybe this is just like one of those big moments of just kind of suffering through. And hopefully, you know, eventually there will be a breakthrough. 
Yeah. And I think as you develop in any sport, you develop what I call gears or different speeds at which you can do a workout. And when you're newer to a sport, there's just one gear. It's on or off. It's like a light switch. So you're either swimming or you're drowning for all intents and purposes. But if you think about your run, over the course of years, you've developed many different zones that you can run in where you have an easy aerobic pace, you have a harder pace. So do you think that it's more of a technical aspect with the swim where you know, we don't have the technique and the comfort level in the water. Do you feel like you have any gears yet? I definitely do not feel like I have gears. I I mean, we always talk about it when we go to the pool and our coach has threshold, five seconds off, easy, relaxed, like all these different paces prescribed. And it's kind of like, well, it's just going to be what I have today. I mean, that's kind of how it feels right now with swimming. It's, it's sort of like golf where you where you play the stroke that you show up with and it's even yeah. called the stroke. So, yeah, this definitely feels like that. Like you just if I'm having a good day, then maybe I'll be able to hit fast paces. And if I'm having a bad day, then I'm probably going to be 10 seconds off of what my tested threshold is. So I think also that's so frustrating when you say technique it's like balancing getting the endurance versus the technique because every single person you talk to is going to have a different recommendation that, oh, your technique is what makes you go faster or no, it's just getting in the pool and building your swim endurance that makes you faster. So I think that learning to balance between spending time doing technique versus spending time just getting in the meters in the pool is super hard to balance and also hard for me to decide what's going to be best to make me better. So yeah, that's kind of where I am right now because I think I trusting the process. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just frustrating. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, it's been a while since you were such a newbie at, at a sport or a concept because you step into running and you know, you're, you're at the top of the level in triathlon, at least for running. But in swimming, you're like a middle schooler. (laughs) Oh, I'm worse than middle schoolers. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, we have middle schoolers come to the pool every now and then and do practices in the evenings. And I am almost always slower than them. So (laughs) maybe not slower, but you can tell the difference. And that's just a matter of a lot of things. But um, yeah, to me, swimming is like max effort yoga where you have to hold the proper form throughout the entire stroke, throughout the entire process. And once that form breaks down, you you lose that top end speed. So a, a win for me, since you're not talking about any wins, is I've recently incorporated flip turns very consistently where, you know, before we could do them, but we chose not to. I've been flip turning consistently throughout pretty much every swim. And I think it really starts to build up Like you said, there is an endurance element of swimming and just holding your breath every 25 or 50, depending which pool we're swimming in and doing the underwater dolphin kicks and things like that is building up that hypoxic side of endurance. One of the tips that uh, uh, another pro Cody Beals always highlights is like, if you think you're in shape for swimming, you're not keep swimming. Like the aerobic side takes longer than you think to build up. So to me, that's that next gear, that next level of mastery where I can swim aerobically even with flip turns. Yeah. And I 
I feel like flip turns are a good way to to take it to a next level with hypoxic training because I am still not flip turning and that's partially because I was flip turning about a month and a half ago and was actually getting pretty good at it and was consistently adding it to my workouts. But then that was also the time I started just kind of going downhill in my swimming and I kind of blamed it on the flip turns, which it's probably not true. And I probably need to keep just keep pushing and doing them and just forcing myself to do it and kind of accepting slower times and then building from that. But it just it just got so frustrating that I ended up taking them out and just haven't really been doing them except every now and then when I'm doing pull reps. Yeah, I think with swimming, you always want the fix, the thing that's going to catch you up to the rest of the pack. And that's been everything for me because I was a really bad swimmer. So at first it was the catch. Everybody said, oh, if you just had that high elbow, you would be swimming like everyone else. And then from there, it was the kick. It was if I could just develop that that powerful kick, then you would be more buoyant. You'd be more on top of the water. You'd be more streamlined. So I worked really hard at those things. And my kickboard time went from like 45 to 50 seconds per 25 to pretty much as fast. Like I could, I could do it in sub 30, but you know, I'm 30 to 35 seconds. So I cut off a meaningful time, but it didn't translate to my stroke. Um, Which is probably coming to timing. Right. Technique. Yeah. Still. But my point is, is same thing with flip turns with you. Sometimes we think that there's a magic bullet like, oh, if only I was flip turning, I'd get better at the sport where really I think with swimming, it's so important to just focus on one element and get better at that and then put the blinders on to everything else. Yeah, because there's so many confounding variables fatigue, exhaustion from your run workout earlier, biking, that you just have to focus on one thing that you say, okay, I'm guaranteed to be better at this, you know, in a month if I just stick with it. And that's that's yeah. what flip turns have been for me in, in this block. And just so everybody hears, because we watched that YouTube video and <laughs> we were offended at the paces, like to yeah. say, oh, I've gotten so much faster. Um, it was like from 113 to 109. It was like just blazing fast open water times per meter. And um, I think that the listeners should know this for two reasons. One, because there's probably a lot better swimmers than us listening. Definitely. And two, that way it's they can gauge what we're talking about. So when I started swimming, I was in the high twos per hundred. And is this for racing or for 100 meter like lap times? Lap times we'll just talk about. Okay. Racing is irrelevant because courses change. But, you know, for 100 yards, I was in the high twos. And then um, I've been in about the 150s for a year and then 140s. So my threshold is like 139 per yard. For your last like test, like for a 500 yard test. But I prop... I probably can't go any faster than that at this point in time. So that's like been my threshold for a while. And then I think same thing for you. You started in like the low twos and the one. Yeah, I think I was around like two tens, two teens maybe to start out, which 
I will say I didn't really know how to really tie myself much at the beginning. I feel like we kind of just swam for a long time. Um, but I would say that's probably what my time was when I first actually put a clock on it. And then I built that down to where my fastest threshold test, I was actually at like a 128 per hundred yard. Yeah. But I'm currently sitting in like the mid 135s and kind of struggling to even swim low 130s. So that's not necessarily true, though, because you're always going to swim slower than your threshold. Yeah. In practice. So, yes, your your threshold test, you tested twice at around the 128. Yeah. So it's more the, of a feeling of it's hard to swim because of all the things we yeah. talked about. But you're still there. So the, the point is for the viewers, they can understand, OK, like Brian's like a 140 swimmer. Kaylee's like a 130 swimmer. Like yeah, you're about we're, 10 we're seconds. We're not low one teens. No. People complaining. <laughs> and we've worked for every second of that speed. Like it was so funny when we first started testing. We thought that the yards pool was a meters pool. Oh, for a long time. We thought that. <laughs> so I kept telling my coach like, yeah, I'm testing at 151 per 25 meters and we were converting it to yards and I was like, oh, I'm making great progress. Like I'm already sub 140 when you convert it. And then one of the UGA swimmers was like, came up to us and was like, no, this is, this is yards. Like you're, you're measuring it wrong. And we're like, what? <laughs> yeah. It was, it was not fun learning that <laughs> we were, we were in a, a yards pool and not a meters pool. Yeah. Which brings up the final piece about swimming, which is like, creating wins for yourself and motivation because I think if you get stuck in that void where you're just constantly slogging through the swims it's really tough like I had the sense of progress back then even if I was slower than I thought and I was performing and you know doing relatively well just because I had that mindset of it yeah so I think creating wins whatever that means for you the the sense of progress in the swim is so important because it keeps your head in the game and it keeps you positive about the sport. And again, this is all for adult learners. So this advice isn't for the people who know how to swim like they know how to walk. Like I couldn't break down how I learned to walk for you, but I know that I can walk. Yeah. For us, we could tell you every little micro adjustment that we've made to get our swim technique to where it is. And we can also tell you that it's still not good enough. So, um, yeah, take this all with a grain of salt. It's just coming from adult learners who started swimming about two years ago. Yeah, and I, I think it's so important to find, like you're saying, kind of the the wins. Because, like you said, for a long time, I, I'd gotten to where I enjoyed swimming. I liked going. It was kind of a way to kind of have a little bit of stress relief. But now I... I'm almost at the point to where I hate it. Like I, I kind of resent going to the pool and I look forward to the days that I don't have to. And I feel like that mindset is really hurting me in the water. And I'm trying to figure out like what, what has really changed. And I think it might be because I'm looking at where I need to be more than the progress, the small incremental progress that I'm getting to that point. And so I'm just frustrated at that gap versus finding smaller ways to close the gap. And I think one of the big things that we are going to be doing this summer is working with a coach, like actually having someone, a swim coach there 
on deck with us, watching us, giving us live feedback so that hopefully that can kind of, I guess, create wins. Yeah. It's the gonna, sense of yeah. Wins. Like when somebody tells you like, yeah, that was good. Good job. You did it right. I think that that could help me be like, okay, this is what it should feel like versus no, that wasn't correct. So I, I think that's going to be a big thing and I'm actually looking forward to that. So hopefully I can love to swim again. Yeah. And I think what you said was so spot on with the swim where you said, I'm trying to be where I want to be versus where I'm at and I'm not enjoying it because I'm always chasing. Yeah. Like that's just a philosophy of life. It's like if you're not present in the moment and you're always wanting something in the future, you're not going to enjoy it in the moment that you're in. So that holds true with swimming just as much as anything else. But to me, I always flip that with swimming because I went through so much pain learning to run. Like some of my thoughts are, well, at least this doesn't hurt. At least I'm not running through shin splints or an IT band injury or like, you know, limping along. Yeah. Swimming is less impactful on the body. And it's probably just as fun for us to swim at like a 130 pace as it is for like some people to swim at a 115 pace. Yeah. We're, we're both moving through the water. We both know how to swim. We won't drown. And we're doing the sport, you know, one of the three sports that we hopefully at least somewhat enjoy for one reason or another. So I hate to say I, I lead with gratitude because I certainly have my really bad days in the pool too. But that's one of the mindset things that I focus on when it comes to the swim, especially. Yeah. And I, I guess if a tiny minor win off of that for me was yesterday, my only goal was to feel good in the water and to not worry about my times and just kind of feel relaxed. And I think I actually felt that way. It was the first swim in a while that even though I was swimming very slow and hurting, I didn't want to give up and quit. So I made it through a 5,500 meter swim without ever questioning, just getting out and leaving. So it was yeah. a small win for me. So shifting gears to the big cog, getting into cycling, how has that journey been different from the swim? Because we were new swimmers and we were new cyclists coming in to the sport. Yeah, cycling has been a weird one because I guess even to start out, we we didn't even know how to bike with clipless pedals. Like we like clipping in was new and so it was just a journey to get out of our development, literally. We fell over, I think, twice, twice. on our first outing. We made it about not even a mile from our house and both fell and turned around and was like, yeah, we're done. Yeah, my right knee is still bigger than my left knee from that day. Yeah, so, I mean, that is kind of, you know, at least for swimming, I somehow was able to, to like, make it back and forth and could actually do a few laps, so, like, Biking was really bad at first. Um, so I think that there's probably been a lot of progress in both bike handling, like the skills of being a good cyclist, as well as incremental gains in our wattage that we can output. So, And this is dependent on the course, but in general, if bike handling is like technique in the water and then bike power is like your splits, which one is more important on the bike? Would you say? I think most of the time, probably just your power is more important. Um, I like maybe I'm down playing 
uh, technique because I still have a lot to learn. And even race skills on a bike is is something I don't I don't think I really know that yet. So maybe as I'm learning, I'll find that the skills and like knowing actually how to race a bike will actually make me a better cyclist. But to me, you can build the raw power on a bike and never ride a bike, but you will excel at the sport quickly. Yeah. If you just have the the sheer power behind it, like if you just did Zwift and stationary trainer, but never actually rode a bike outside. I think in a week's time, you would still be smoking a lot of the field if yeah. you had like a crazy FTP. No, that's or very like true. That. Like your your power is what's gonna ultimately win you like gains on the bike, but maybe at the highest level, that's when learning to be a good racer and having good bike handling techniques will give you those like marginal gains. Right. Whereas like with the swim, I'm stronger than most swimmers because I come from a rowing background. I can do more pull-ups, like, you know, can lat pull down much more than elite swimmers, but um it translates zero percent in the water. In fact, I think it creates more drag for me somehow, but that's that's anecdotal. So I think my point is is the the bike you can really flip on its head and it's just something you have to hammer from like a a power perspective. Yeah. In order to really get better. So I really like that. I just like pushing myself to the absolute limit, which um, you can have almost a blatant disregard for technique on the bike and just hammer the pedals and see progress over time. Yeah, no, that's true. I think me and you differ in kind of our personalities when it comes to training. And I think it probably shows the most on the bike because... Well, what's your favorite type of bike workout? I mean, I'm more of the... (laughs) the threshold for a long time kind of workouts like I and I would rather suffer at 400 watts for 30 second repeats and over that's and like over the and worst over. to me absolutely worse so and and I think that that explains trans- yeah it, why it, you race 70.3s <laughs> and I want to race yeah. draft legal but that kind of translates to a lot of different people's experience I guess with the bike because there is such a difference in hitting max threshold efforts with like minimal rest versus what is your highest possible sustained effort. And I think that learning to work between those two has been a challenge over, over the course of the past year and a half, two years of getting into biking. And I think for me, I have been able to, increase my threshold power by increasing my maximal so they come together and i think it's important to do both but yeah i think it's easy to have a favorite over over one yeah and that's normal people have different strengths and weaknesses that you can play to before we get too far from our theme you know i think you're not bad it just takes a lot of time really comes into play with cycling because as an age grouper myself with a full-time job. And as you all know, Kaylee's in veterinary school. So she has a very tight schedule as well. Um, the time factor of cycling is drastic. Like to get an effective run in, it could be an hour and a half. You could do some really good volume yeah. in an hour and a half for running with cycling. Our coach will send us out for four hours and be like, yeah, I'm cutting it a little short today. And you're like, what? (laughs) A four hour ride's not even 
really considered that long when it comes to, I guess, the the volume that other professional athletes are putting in. I think as age groupers, four hours is more than enough to get in a solid, solid workout in on the bike. But but people probably aren't even doing that listening. If you are, that's great because that's what what I'm saying. Four hours is a a good amount of time. For a long ride. yeah. Yeah. So the point is, is like the amount of time required to not get good at just one sport, but three sports is tremendous. Most people who train for triathlon are doing the same training load as a division one or two athlete. Oh yeah. Even though they're just doing it like for fun. For fun. Yeah. So the ability to give yourself credit for what you're accomplishing is so important along the way. And I think it keeps your mindset positive because I think we're a lot, we're a lot harder on ourselves because we're like, Oh, I want 20 Watts on my FTP this block. And I want to lower my run split by 10 seconds per mile. And I want to drop five seconds per hundred in the pool. Like we're chasing all these little metrics but we're training for three sports all at the same time. Yeah. So it's just so you're dividing, you're dividing yeah. your focus and your energy and your effort. So and in professional triathletes put in the most hours out of any type of athlete. Professional runners, you know, do half of the work that a professional triathlete does in terms of like physical training volume. Because that's all your body can do over 120 miles. Yeah. So you just cap out. So yeah, it's it's a really tough grind, and you have to continuously not make excuses, but give yourself credit where credit is due. Yeah. And, and that that comes on the bike, I would say. Just be patient with it. Yeah, and I kind of sticking with the like you said the the wins and stuff as well with our current biking. I could say for me, a personal win recently has been getting more and more comfortable at the 200 watt range, which for me is a lot. That's over four Watts per kick for me. And I think I'd like to eventually get to where I can comfortably race 70.3 at that distance or at that, that Watts. So I I'm again, like I said, I'm just getting more and more comfortable holding different um, intervals, 15, 20 minute intervals at that. So yeah, that's kind of my current win. Yeah. And you've never raced a course uh, recently that that would favor watts per kg versus just pure watts. When you're going flat, watts per kilogram doesn't matter as much. But as soon as you start climbing and Kaylee starts pushing four watts per kg, five watts per kg up hills, that's going to translate for her in certain 70.3s and uh, courses, depending on when it's favorable. But sheer power when you're going flat or down you know you just you want more watts so that's going to be that's really your uphill battle yeah i mean and and with that i am also seeing a lot of improvements in hitting higher numbers like i my shorter interval times like i'm hitting now over 250 or in the 250 range which again is a pretty big step for me and just kind of getting the power out of my legs is been a pretty big challenge and maybe that's a runner thing I know our coaches talk to us a little about running can sometimes take a little while to translate to biking because there's a certain finesse and a rhythm, whereas biking is just like the raw grind of putting out numbers. Yeah, but you're always in a good headspace with it and you're you're always like the progress will come on the bike eventually. Yeah. So we yeah. also have we live in a really beautiful area for cycling, so I think 
being able to go outside can help your, your mindset in cycling and kind of, even if you have friends, like going on your easier rides with groups could be beneficial. So I think just finding things like that has been easier with cycling. So it's been easier for me to enjoy it and kind of have a better mindset around it. And I don't know, maybe that's something with swimming, like maybe having friends could, (laughs) could help, but it's been a lot easier for cycling. Yeah. So let's lace up the shoes now move into running. You have gotten better at running since you started triathlon. Do you think cross training has something to do with that? I think it does. I I think that it's a very interesting thing that has happened to me with running is that as I have ran less miles, I have actually gotten faster, which... Asterisk, this doesn't apply to everyone listening. So... (laughs) I, I just want to caveat that. I think it's great yeah. advice for runners, for people who oh, I see what you're saying. start yeah, out definitely. as runners. Like, oh, yeah, that's a huge thing for people who have started out as runners is that decreasing my miles has actually increased my performance. And that's 100 percent because I'm filling the gap plus some with run or swimming and cycling. So it's not like I'm doing less number of hours in the week than I was. It's just, I'm doing it with other things that are keeping me from getting injured. So yeah, I have definitely seen a huge improvement, but I think your perspective of going from, you know, almost no running to to where you are, (laughs) but yeah, I mean, what, well, what's been your, just to build on that a little bit. I think I brought this up earlier about building gears. I think one thing that you know, NCAA runners don't always have is gears. Like you had a really high gear, like you were just, you knew how to run fast and competitively, but developing an aerobic base from the bike and the swim also developed an aerobic base for your run. So you're building up that base effectively, which I think it's not that you didn't have it. It's just, I've always seen you chip away at like fast miles, but like, you also learned to run slow, which we'll get into a little bit in the polarized training conversation. But, um, you know, I think that's something that's really developed your running where your heart rate was always that, that one zone, like pretty high or very high or like, okay, you're going to drop dead high. And now it's like, you can run with a relatively low heart rate for you. Yeah. And you kind of bring up a point that I've been, I've thought about was that my split times when I was running in college on the track, like doing a workout was actually not, I I'm actually running about the same times. Like when I would do 800 mile one K repeats, they weren't any slower than what I'm doing right now. They may have even been a little faster every now and then. I mean, I had people there, so it would get a little competitive, but the difference is I'm actually able to put those times together and actually run like 13 miles in a half marathon at like 10 seconds slower uh, per mile and like actually put it into a race and it comes out and I can perform, which was something I just couldn't ever do in college. So maybe like you're saying with just the sheer base building has given me the endurance to actually perform what I'm practicing in a race. Yeah, because I can run almost the same interval times as you, but I fall apart come race time. 
Yeah. Relatively speaking. Well, it's, well, it's, it's just an interesting concept to think like, yeah, like you're saying, our, our training times are not that far off. Our zones in the run are within 15 seconds per mile of each other. And they're even closer now. I mean, you're depending. You're hitting within like 10 seconds of me on a lot of your workouts. Yeah, but it it's like building a pyramid. The, the wider the base, the taller you can climb. So you've been building that base for more years. So it's just your peak is higher. Yeah, which but. hopefully is what <laughs> we'll see with the other two sports as well. Yeah, I think that's that's what it comes down to, where you can just sustain those interval efforts come race day versus when you're inexperienced or your body's not developed in the sport. It's much harder to execute for the, the course of a race distance. Yeah. Um, but with your kind of gears theory, when do you think you first felt like you had multiple gears when since you first started doing the run? So I want to read our our listeners question from Sophie, because I think it just ties into this whole conversation and we can use running as the conversation piece and then apply it to other sports. So Sophie asked us um, if we could talk a bit about the 80-20 training philosophy. This is also known as the polarized training model where 80% of training is done easy, 20% is what I would call a key session or it has intensity. She's currently doing a training peaks plan, good, designed with that in mind for the swim and the bike. I like it, but my run is so slow that for zone one and zone two, I'm run walking. I'd like to improve running in zone two and worry about doing that in time for my race since uh, she's in the second half of a 16 week sprint triathlon training block and she's getting a bit nervous. She wants to know how she can complete it, but also would like to do the race in under two hours. So we're gonna answer that question and also give a breakdown of how you can accomplish a sprint triathlon in under two hours, because I think she can do it. Um, but with, with your point about gears, I think what she's talking about is gears right there, where she can only stay in zone one and zone two from a heart rate perspective is my guess yeah. if she run walks and the objective is to get to where you can use these indicators over time, but you can't, you can't get to the point where you're running effectively. If you limit yourself to, to these metrics and gears, because your heart rate might be saying one thing, but your legs aren't really burning and you can just breathe heavily through that workout to get to the end of it. Yeah. So for me, I started running three years ago with Kaylee and I tracked heart rate, but there wasn't a single run where I was in zone one or zone two for like the first year of run training. Yeah. And I would say we, we didn't even know about zones. I knew we, about zones. You, you did or you did? I did. Well, I did not know about zones for a long time. So, I mean, that was new for me to even consider heart rate as like a a metric for gauging my effort. I don't know. It was new for me. There has to be times, Sophie and other listeners, where if you're developing in a sport, you have to worry less about the zone than about the, the hard work to eventually get there. Like... 
you know, from swimming, I wasn't worried that I was out of a zone when I first started swimming. It was like, I want to finish this 200 yard swim straight without stopping, whatever it takes. And then eventually got that got a little easier and a little easier. And the same thing was with the run. I should have worried a little bit more about injury prevention, but I would get through the run with you, whatever it took. Yeah. At like an 830 mile, sometimes nine minute per mile pace, but I wasn't in zone one or zone two. Yeah. I mean, that that's kind of the point, a big point I was thinking about when I saw this question was that the biggest problem with getting into running is injury for people. Like it is extremely easy. And I think it could be even easier if you're training for triathlon to get injured in running because you are building your aerobic fitness in the bike and the swim to where maybe you can run harder and do go further than maybe your body is ready for. So I think the one important aspect is going to be making sure you're doing what your body is ready for. And that's your joints and your tendons and your bones. Cause that's, that's where you don't, you don't want to cross a, an, a line of getting injured, but I think that the speed at which you're doing it is going to matter a little bit less when you're getting started. Yeah. So let's work this through the process. Polarized training is better the more hours you're training. Yeah. So if you're training for 10 hours a week, the polarized training model is probably less effective than if you're training 30 hours a week. Yeah. And that's because on 30 hours, if 50% of your effort was intense, that would be 15 hours of intensity. Yeah. It would just almost be impossible to, to do. Whereas if you're training eight to 10 hours a week, that means two hours, right? If, if you're doing a 20% model and if you're doing 50% of intensity, that means five hours of the 10 are intense. Yeah. And your body can handle five hours of intensity, especially if some of it's not like threshold, if some of it's tempo in that sweet spot zone, right? Yeah, there's definitely a good, that's a really good point to remember is that it doesn't, it doesn't mean you're going out and like sprinting. Yeah. Like tempo also counts as that intensity 20%. It doesn't count as the 20%. It's what's called sweet spot or in between. The 20% means like threshold or above in the polarized model. So this is even... But again, that's why I don't think for someone still developing in the sport, it's so important. Yeah. Like if you apply it to lactate thresholds, some elite runners will always run at like a one millimole lactate. Yeah. Yeah. And then 20% of their runs is where they're building lactate in their system. Three, four, five millimoles. So that's polarized where it's like, okay, 20%. I'm going to build lactate. And then 80% of the time, I'm not going to build lactate. For someone who's still developing those systems, those tendons, those joints, it's just one of the many important focuses. So Sophie, if you're going out for a run specifically for recovery, if your body's smashed from the, the swim, the bike, and you want to get some mileage in, run, walk, still run, walk. Yeah, but if you keep it easy, if you have the energy, if you're like, I'm up for this, today is a day to work on my run specifically. Throw the the zones, especially if you're looking at heart rate in the trash and maybe work on 
minutes per mile or minutes per kilometer for your zones. Yeah. Or even just consider it your, as they say, your relative perceived effort, yeah, your yep. RPE would be a good thing to kind of look at. Um, because with this, like I have an anecdotal story of a really good friend of mine who went from kind of not really running. I mean, every now and then she would, uh, she would go for runs, but she decided to do her first marathon. And she talked to me a lot about this, where she was following a plan where she was basically run walking on her easy days because she was trying to go by heart rate. And we talked a lot about it. And I think eventually we were like, you know, I think having a higher heart rate is okay. That as long as you're running at a, a comfortable pace and you're kind of sticking to whatever your mileage is that's in your plan, that it was okay. And I mean, she ultimately didn't really have any major injuries, made it through. And I mean, she raced a really great marathon and even eventually increased her times to get a new PR and the the half marathon, I think of like 140 something. So you know, I think that if you're just at the beginning of running, it's okay to not worry too much about your heart rate and to kind of just go more on your effort and then also really listening to any injury that might be coming up. Yeah, listen to your body first and then especially the zones like we're not taking lactate. So, you know, think about perceived effort versus some of those weaker indicator, I would consider heart rate a weak indicator. Oh, at the very, in the beginning, it's definitely. Yeah. So we hope that helps. I think it, it was a great pairing to run progress because that really sums up my run progress in terms of building it up. And, you know, I think with running, you have to, it's different than the, maybe it's, like the other sports and we just don't know it, but I think you have to look over that precipice of like doing a little too much too soon. Yeah. And then having your body and your tendons and your muscles adapt to that. The way you can prevent injury is of course, changing out your shoes. Uh, I do every 250 miles just so everybody knows the intervals that works for me. Um, but you know, just making sure you're keeping your body healthy. But when I started running with you, I was taping frozen water bottles to my shins and I yeah. couldn't walk downstairs. And he did not take the, the approach of, yeah. of injury prevention. I mean, he went through every running overrunning injury there is pretty much at the beginning. And I did the David Goggins challenge, which was four by four by 48. So that was four miles every four hours for 48 hours straight. And you didn't run for, what, two months after? I was out for like two months because I had such bad tendonitis from it. So don't overrun. Uh, but you have to look over that precipice. And also, um, depending on your injury, pre-habit. So like if your shins start flaring up, do tibialis raises against the wall. Look it up if you're not familiar. But, um, you know, for me, bulletproofing my shins was the best thing I could do. Foam rollers, too. Foam rolling helps for keeping your calves loose. Yep. If you're trying to loosen your IT band, you don't roll the IT band. No, it's more of a, a glute hip thing. You roll on the glute hip and that releases the IT band, right? So you learn a lot of these little tips and tricks, but it depends what your ailment is. So uh, prehab and, and rehab all along the way and just, you'll be able to build it up over time. Yeah. And, and one last point, if... 
if these zones are based on some sort of times that you may have have tested or from previous races, I think it's also important to note that as you're increasing your volume in other sports and just getting better, your times are also going to probably improve pretty quickly at the beginning. So your zones are also going to be getting faster than what you might be test retesting them at. So if things are starting to feel easy in zone one, zone two, like way too easy, maybe you've already increased your zones. Like maybe your threshold now is a good bit lower. And I think that that's something that newer athletes will see in running because, you know, I mean, if you're going from running, I don't know, a 12 minute mile, it's not going to take too much work to get to where you're already in the 10 minute zone. And then that's going to, I mean, two minutes per mile is a huge jump. So I think we could ever jump. Yeah. Yeah. I think that your zones could also just be increasing at like a point that you're just not testing and uh, re-updating them at. So yeah, I think it's also important to know that you are getting better. So, you know, it's a good thing that, it might be seeming too easy because it, it might be too easy for you now. Yeah. And finally, if you're going for a sub two hour sprint, the way I broke it out to you uh, when we discussed this was if you have a 40 minute swim, which is very conservative for a sprint distance, right? Typically that's 750 meters. Yeah. So that would include stopping in the middle of the swim, holding on to the kayaks, continuing. Um, and then around a 50 minute bike, so that puts us at an hour and a half. Yeah. And that gives you almost 30 minutes for the 5K. So Yeah, and and 30 minute 5K <laughs> I I think can it, the, it can be hard for like after all of that, but but those levers are where you could start with and pull. So like almost everybody could swim faster than a 40 minute. Yeah, I would think. And and I mean my one tip with that would be like don't forget you can backstroke. Like instead of taking like just a complete rest, like you can always flip over and or doggy, you know, just always try to make forward progression. If, yeah. If you feel like you need a break. So. So if you get five minutes there. Yeah. Now you can do a 35 minute 5K. Yeah. yeah. And then if your bike is going to be 45 minutes versus 50 minutes, now you can do a 40 minute 5K. Right. So there's those levers to pull. And then just focus on efficient but smooth transitions. Yeah, I was going to say, the transition, make sure you're still jogging. Like, don't try your best not to walk in the transitions because, I mean, you can save so much time by just, like, getting a nice little jog between, like, getting out or getting off the bike and, and just moving through those transitions. Yeah, check out our transitions video on YouTube because it'll just go step by step of how to have a smooth T1 and T2 uh, without getting too hung up there. But overall, I think that don't stress about going sub two. Just know exactly where you're at and what you need to do to do it. And then, you know, pull those levers from there and make those adjustments like we were talking about. If you're going out on a mountain bike versus a road bike, most of the time savings isn't from fitness. It's yeah. It's gear. There's so. there's definitely gear upgrades you can make to to make your time faster that and you're still performing the same efforts. Yeah. So final gear of the of the pod. Let's but talk real about, quick. Good luck. And yeah. and let us know how how your first race goes. Yeah, we'd love to hear race results and, and how things are going. If we helped it, if we hurt, if we helped, yeah. <laughs> hopefully not hurt. But 
Let's shift gears now to wrap up here. Uh, Try gear worth investing in sort of like our overrated versus underrated segment, but uh, a non-sponsored sponsored segment since we're not sponsored. What's something that has made a difference for you in the world of triathlon? So for the non-sponsored sponsored segment, I would say my favorite thing that I've gotten has been a pair of the UFOs. Is it UFOs? Is that how you say it? Shoes. They're like the slides. And it was actually the first thing I've ever gotten for free in triathlon. It was after I won Daytona and I would immediately just like throw my shoes off because I mean, it's just like the best feeling after a race is getting your your race shoes off. And so I was walking around barefoot and one of the vendors was like, no, you're not. You can't be walking around barefoot after a race like that. You got to protect your feet. And he gave me a pair of the UFOs and I have just absolutely loved them. Like, I mean, they have just been the most comfortable shoe and I now wear them all the time. Like, yeah, I I have Jordan slides because Michael Jordan was the goat. And uh, I was like, I got to wear what the greats wear. And these things are just like hard pieces of plastic. And I stick my heels on Kaylee's UFOs. UFOs. I don't know how to say it plurally. UFOs. Yeah. <laughs> UFOs. I have no idea. And they're like standing on clouds. I mean, they are amazing. So if you're in the market for slides... I would go with UFOs oh, for it is sure. So worth it. Like I've always been a slides person and these are just, I will never not wear these from here on out because. Do you wear slides to the pool? Uh, yeah. Do you I, wear them for recovery? I wear them for recovery. Do you wear I them on the way to, on the way to long runs? Yeah. When I'm, I now, yeah. Don't even wear my tennis shoes to go to long runs. Like I will wear these, so there put you my go. shoes on. And then as soon as I'm done, take my shoes off and put them on. So yeah, they're a hundred percent worth having in between all the different sports. And these, right. These are worth investing in because this type of gear is going to last a while. It's not like you have to swap them out every yeah. few months. I'm assuming they're going to last for a really long time. So, yeah. and then for me, my point for really new listeners would be cycling shoes whether you like it or not, these things last forever. Like we still have the first pair we ever bought. Yeah. So if you're trying to save 20 bucks on something that can last you two or three years, I would say go with the one that fits you the best. You can get in and out of efficiently and you're, you're really comfortable in because I've had the same cycling shoes for since we got our first pair. Yeah. So have you. And for better or worse, we're still using them. So that's the, that's the thought I would have, you know, you don't have to upspend on everything, but when it comes to cycling shoes, you're going to have them for so long that if you broke down the cost per mile, it's like probably a less than a penny. Yeah. And I don't even think when we first got ours, we didn't really like, we didn't know, we didn't know how long we were going to have them. We didn't know really even what was good what was bad I, mean, I didn't even really know the difference between road shoes and triathlon shoes like we you know we went to a, a bike store and was kind of like well we want to do a triathlon so he recommended triathlon shoes for us and he also pushed us to get not the basic just terrible ones like to to actually invest in like a nice pair so 
I think that that was very beneficial for us to to get a nicer pair from the beginning, because like you said, like I'm still using them. I have gotten inserts for mine since the beginning, but I'm still using the exact same pair. And I have triathlon shoes. Are yours triathlon? Not really. They're like a, a more of a road bike. Hybrid. Yeah. They have so, Velcro, but they also have the, the BOA cog. Yeah. So I, I don't think they like whether you want triathlon or road, either one, I think are pretty good to go yeah, with. It's just about the fit. Like yeah. don't compromise and be like, this kind of fits me. Go to a cycling shop, try them on, get the advice from the guy there. If you're newer, because it's not like running shoes. For running shoes, I'm against inserts typically. I don't think you need somebody to recommend shoes. I think it's different for everyone. With cycling shoes, I think the exact opposite. Yeah, it's probably so. worth having having a little expert opinion. And I will say, I ended up buying a because a uh, cleats. This is another thing for newer ones. The the pedal you use for your bike has different cleats that fits. So I have two different pairs uh, of pedals for my road bike and my TT bike that I had no idea was a thing when we first got it. And so I ended up buying a a different pair of shoes so that I obviously wouldn't have to take off the, the bottom piece. I bought the cheapest pair I could possibly find on Amazon. I think they were like maybe 40, 50 bucks. I hate them so much. And this is for indoor riding. They're like furnaces on your feet. Yeah, that I I will not use them. <laughs> so in the at the end of the day, it was 50 bucks wasted versus 50 bucks that I could have put towards a nicer pair that were actually worth wearing. So it's definitely not worth going cheap on them. Yeah, don't go really cheap. The, you, your body disposes of temperature in a few key places, palms, top of your head and your feet. Yeah. And, and in cycling, so hot. you generate a ton of heat. So you need shoes that are efficient with that. So yeah, a great point. Glad you brought it up. So we'll be back to training. Kaylee has Chattanooga 70.3 coming up, not in one week, but two weeks. So one final push, get those final adaptations and Next week, we'll give you some insight on race prep going into Chattanooga and what's next for both of us. So stay tuned. Thanks for tuning in and we will catch you next week. Yeah, I'll be done with finals and officially a full-time triathlete. So for the summer, for the summer, looking forward to it. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for following. Thanks for subscribing. Catch you soon. See you guys. Let's roll it.